Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1? Excuse me, Matthew chapter 2. And at this time, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are pre-K through third grade, they can meet in the back. Well, thank you to everyone who participated in the service so far. The Advent readers and the music, it really was beautiful. I do pray that you will be bear with me this morning. As David said, I am a little bit under the weather. Um, I caught whatever is going around. Um, I do not have the COVID virus, so that is good. Though ironically, I am one of a handful of people in America who can correctly pronounce the word Omicron or Omicron. It is not pronounced Omnicron, uh, Omnicorn, or Optimus Prime. Those are all incorrect pronunciations. Let's read God's word. Matthew chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 through 12. Beautiful story. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place Where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country. By another way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we wonder once again at the glories of this Christmas story, the faith of Mary and Joseph, the glory of the angels filling the night sky, and the intrepid curiosity of the wise men. I pray, Lord that you would speak, for we, your servants, listen. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1983, I was just a little boy, and Cabbage Patch Kids were the biggest Christmas present in America. 
bigger than the PlayStation 5, bigger than Beanie Babies, bigger than Mario Kart, bigger than the iPhone 13, bigger than Pet Rocks, bigger than Chia Pets. In 1983, every kid in America wanted a Cabbage Patch Kid. Stores could not keep them on the shelves. There were literally riots over these dolls. Time Magazine wrote a, an article about this phenomenon, and they dubbed these the Cabbage Patch Riots, <laughs> which is a cool name for a band, <laughs> not a cool name for a riot. If you were to show someone the scars that you received in the Cabbage Patch Riots of 1983, uh, you would not be cool at all. <laughs> Parents were pushing and shoving, bones were broken, people were trampled. The police were brought in to do crowd control at these stores. One shopper from New England traveled to four different states before he found a Cabbage Patch Kid. One lady waited outside in five degree temperatures for five hours just for an opportunity to purchase one of these dolls. In December of 1983, nothing mattered more than getting your hands on a Cabbage Patch Kid. Here's the question. If something matters to you more than anything else in the world, how far will you go to get it? Will you wait outside in the cold and the rain? Will you travel from city to city and town to town? Will you follow the star that leads you to the tiny city of Bethlehem? That's what the wise men did. In the first century, there were rumors that a king was to be born, a mighty king who would come from the land of Judah, a king who would rule the world in truth and in grace. The wise men saw his star as it rose, and they said, he's here. They left their cities in the east, and they traveled to Jerusalem, and then to the tiny city of Bethlehem. They left everything to find him. And when they found him, they laid their treasures at his feet to worship their king. What about you? This Christmas season, are you willing to leave your homeland and everything that you've known behind you? Are you willing to find the king? Are you willing to worship the king? Are you willing to lay your treasures down at the feet of the God who saved you from sin and death and sorrow and pain? How important is Jesus to you? That's the question I want to ask this morning as we look at the Christmas story through the eyes of the Magi, the wise men from the East. As we walk through the story, I think we'll see three very different reactions to Jesus. To Herod, Jesus was very important, important enough to kill. To the religious leaders, Jesus wasn't important at all. They heard the message of Christmas and they didn't care. 
No reaction, no follow-through, no curiosity. They completely missed the king. To the wise men, Jesus was the most important person in the world. Important enough to seek, important enough to find, important to lay down their treasures at his feet and worship him as their savior and king. Christmas reminds us that wise men, women, and children still seek him. Wise men, women, and children still find him. Wise men, women, and children still worship him. Do you? Let's take a closer look. We begin with scene one, the wise men arrive. Verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, let's unpack that by ruining one of our favorite Christmas songs. Are you ready? Who were the wise men? Were they kings? As in, we three kings? Well, the answer is no. They were not kings. In the Greek, they are referred to as the magi, as in magic or magician. They were astrologers. Many were fortune tellers. They often interpreted dreams for important people, people like the king. If you know your Old Testament, you know the story of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were four men who interpreted dreams for the king. In that context, they would have been considered magi. So where did they come from? Did they come from the Orient? Were these three kings from the Orient? Well, the text only tells us that they came from the East. So the most likely candidates in that day would be Babylon or Persia, modern-day Iran or modern-day Iraq. Now, our best guess is they traveled about 900 miles to get from their homeland in the east to arrive first at Jerusalem and then at Bethlehem. That's roughly the distance between here and the city of Chicago. So it was quite a long distance that they traveled. Now, how many magi were there? Were they three? We three kings? Well, when you factor in the distance of the trip, the amount of supplies that they would have needed to travel 900 miles across the desert, the, presumably the number of guards that they would have needed to protect the very expensive treasures that they were bringing to Jesus, our best guess is that this was a fairly large caravan of people. How many people? Probably more than three. It is possible that three magi traveled all alone 900 miles through the desert to get to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem, but it's not very likely. This was probably a very large group of people. Now, when did they arrive? Did they arrive on Christmas Eve? Almost every nativity set that I have ever seen comes with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and, of course, the baby Jesus. And right there in the manger, right next to Jesus, are the three wise men. But that's probably not how it happened. 
It probably took the wise men uh, several months to get to Bethlehem. It was a big group. It was a large trip, and a long trip. And remember, they didn't know exactly where it was they were going. Plus, it was a bunch of men. And so you know they didn't stop to ask for directions. Hey. These are the jokes, folks. So if you have a nativity scene at home, your homework today, applying the sermon, is to go home and take the wise men out of the nativity. Okay? Uh, you could put them in your garage, you could put them in the mailbox, put them in a you know, cookie jar. I don't care where they are, just get them out of the barn. Okay? And if anyone sees you doing this and says, what are you doing? Just say, my pastor is weird. Uh, we're going for biblical historical accuracy. Okay. Now, with all that in mind, what, maybe this is the most important question, why is it that they came to Jerusalem? Well, they came to Jerusalem and later to Bethlehem because they saw a star, a star that indicated to them that the king of the Jews had been born. Now, we're not exactly sure how they connected in their mind this star that they saw with the prophecies of the birth of the Messiah, the king of the Jews, but it is worth noting that the Jews spent 70 years as exiles in Babylon. And during that time as exiles in Babylon, one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel, Isaiah, was active prophesying about the birth of this king. So, if their ancestors had been paying attention to what Isaiah had said, and if they had written any of this down and made note of it to their sons and grandsons, then it's not impossible that the wise men would have drawn the connection between the star that they saw and the prophecies of Jesus. Jesus was important to the wise men. So important that they were willing to follow the evidence wherever it led them. So important that they were willing to leave their homeland behind. So important that they were willing to risk their physical safety. King Herod was a very dangerous man, and yet the wise men had the courage to stand in front of him and say, where is the king of the Jews? Not you, the real king of the Jews. We have come to worship him. These gifts are not for you. They are for him, the true king of the Jews. Is Jesus that important to you? Are you willing to seek him? The promise of the scripture is, if you seek him, you will find him just like the wise men from the east. Scene two, Herod is knocked off balance. Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. When Herod heard the good news about the birth of Jesus, it was not good news to him. In fact, he was greatly troubled. He saw the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of the king of the Jews, as a threat to his authority. Now, if you know a little bit of the backstory, a little bit of the history, it makes a lot of sense. Herod had been appointed the king of the Jews by the Roman emperor. 
He was essentially a bureaucrat. He wasn't royalty. He wasn't even Jewish. Scholars think maybe he was maybe half Jewish at best. In the eyes of the people, he had no legitimate claim to the throne. None. Now, given how tenuous his position was as the Roman-appointed king of the Jews, he became ruthless to the point of paranoia. He would do anything to keep his power. He was constantly on the lookout for conspiracies and plots and plotters. And when he found them, real or imagined, he would do anything in order to stamp them out often killing everyone involved with or without evidence. At one point, Herod uh, intentionally ordered the murder of his own wife. He later executed three of his own sons, who he suspected of plotting against him, and on his deathbed, he ordered the execution of a hundred senators, a hundred government officials. All of Jerusalem probably trembled along with Herod because they knew that when Herod was troubled, that meant trouble for everyone. Now, here's what I want you to see. As unlikely as it seems, Jesus was very, very important to Herod. He was so important that Herod tried to have him killed. He was such a threat that Herod tried to kill all of the babies born in the city of Bethlehem in a two-year window just to make sure that he put an end to Jesus, the king of the Jews. Why? Why did he hate Jesus? Because he viewed Jesus as a threat to his authority. He viewed Jesus as a challenge to his autonomy. Herod knew what all of us know deep down, and that is this. There can be only one king. Either Jesus will be the king, or you will be the king, but it can't be both. You have to decide. You have to choose. If Jesus is the king, then he is the Lord over all things. If Jesus is the king, then he is the Lord over your money. He has the right to determine how you give, save, and spend your money because it's not really your money, it's his money. Everything we have comes from him. If Jesus is really the Lord of all, then he is Lord of your media. He gets to decide what sort of films you watch or what films you don't watch, what sort of video games you might be playing or what video games you might not be playing. He gets to decide what you might post on social media or what you ought not post on social media. If Jesus is the king, then he's the king of your marriage. Single people, he has the right to determine boundaries for you in your dating relationships. Married people, he has the right to tell you what a godly marriage is, what a godly marriage should be. He has the right to tell us to love our enemies. He has the right to tell us to pray for those who persecute us. He has the right to tell us to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. He has the right to call us sons and daughters. He has the right 
to forgive our sins. This Christmas, choose your king wisely. There is no king like King Jesus. Earthly kings say, serve me. Jesus says, I came to serve you. Earthly kings say, you must give your life for me. Jesus said, I have come to give my life for you. Earthly kings and earthly kingdoms come and go. Jesus is an everlasting king, ruling over an everlasting kingdom. Scene three. The religious leaders sleep through Christmas. Have you ever overslept and missed something really important? Maybe your wedding, uh, a funeral that's very important to you. One day uh, when I was in college, I actually overslept and missed a final exam. Oh, I could, even thinking about it, like I still get nervous and upset about missing that exam. One of the worst days of my life. Now that's essentially what the chief priests and the scribes do in this story. The wise men from the east arrive, and this should be the most important day of their life. They've been studying the scriptures day after day and month after month and year after year, searching the scriptures to discover when the Christ would be born. And the wise men arrive, and they completely miss it. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with them, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The religious leaders said, Bethlehem, that is the right answer. They quoted from Micah chapter 5, that was the right passage of scripture to quote, and then they apparently went golfing or something because that's the last we hear of them throughout the whole story. It is amazing. They did not say, we're coming with you, wise men. We have to see this with our own eyes. Could it really be true? After hundreds of years of silence, could the word may be made flesh and dwelling among us? Could it be true? No curiosity, no faith, apathetic, indifferent. One of the things that we see over and over again in the Bible is that religious people are often the last people to believe in Jesus, if they ever believe at all. We have to be careful as Christians, especially around Christmas time, because we know the Christmas story inside and out. You know about the angels. You know about the shepherds. You know about Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus and the wise men. And if there's anything left to learn, maybe some little factoid that we missed. We have study Bibles and computer programs and podcasts and access to some of the greatest preachers who have ever lived right at our fingertips. Here's the caution. The chief priests and the scribes knew the story too. They knew it intellectually, but they didn't have faith. They didn't believe, and because they didn't believe, they slept through Christmas. Don't let that happen to you. Remember what Christmas means Remember that God has come in the flesh to rescue you. 
Jesus has come to forgive our sins, to give us the gift of everlasting life. Jesus has come to make this world a better place for everyone. Run to Jesus. Run to Bethlehem. Run to see this great king. Don't wait. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Don't say, well, we'll, we'll see at a better time. Remember, if you tarry until you're ready, you will never come at all. Now is the day. Now is the time for grace and mercy and peace. Scene four. Wise men find what they were looking for. When the wise men finally arrived in Bethlehem, they found Jesus and they worshipped him. Verse 10, when they saw the star resting over Jesus' house, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, we will just sort of skip a, a stone over the surface of the waters this morning, but this is a master class on worship. This is probably one of the most beautiful, succinct pictures of what worship is in the scriptures. Let's look at it just a little bit. Notice here that the wise men worshiped joyfully. According to verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In Eugene Peterson's translation of this, he writes, they could hardly contain themselves. If someone were to come in off the street today, take a seat in the back row, would they say of us, these people can hardly contain themselves? These people are so filled with joy. These people are so filled with love. These people are so filled with awe and wonder at the grace of God, which is manifest to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. So much gladness, so much joy. That's worship. I understand that we all come to Christmas with different worries and burdens and fears. I understand that. But this Christmas, I invite you to bring your sorrows to Jesus. He will bring you joy. Bring your fears to Jesus, and he will bring you courage. Bring your indifference to Jesus, and he will bring you passion. Bring your death to Jesus, and he will give you life, abundant, everlasting life. The second thing we see here is that the wise men worshipped humbly. According to verse 10, the wise men fell down and worshipped him. Falling down is a sign of humility. The wise men are saying, Jesus, you are everything and we are nothing compared to you there's a, a bumper sticker that's been going around the last few years it's very simple it says he is greater than sort of the greater than sign than i he is greater than i if you have one of those bump, bumper stickers you are awesome because you get exactly what the wise men got 
Falling down in worship is a way of saying, Jesus, you are greater than I am. But that's not all. The wise men worshipped generously. Verse 11, they opened up their treasures and they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave Jesus costly treasures. All of them were rich with symbolic significance. Gold was and is the medal of kings, and in giving him gold, they were testifying to the fact that Jesus is not merely the king of the Jews. He is their king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They gave him frankincense, which was an expensive resin that priests would often use to burn in the temple, reminding us that Jesus is our great high priest. All of the other priests went into the temple with sacrificial animals, and they sacrificed them for the sins of the people. Jesus walked into the temple, which was his body. He offered his own life on the cross, and in so doing, we have been forever reconciled to God. All of our sins, past, present, and future, have been laid upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the, of the world. They gave him myrrh, an expensive perfume which was often used to embalm the dead. A somber reminder that the baby Jesus was born under the shadow of the cross. He came to live for us and die for us. Worship is the act of giving back a portion of what God has given us, not because God needs our gifts, he doesn't, but because he loves to receive them. When I was in third grade, I made a gift for my father, which is quite possibly the ugliest ashtray ever conceived by man. To this day, I have no idea why I gave my dad an ashtray. He does not smoke. Uh, there was no logical reason for me in my little third grade mind to give my dad an ashtray, but that's what I did. And I gave him this ashtray, and for more than 30 years, that ashtray held my dad's loose change and cufflinks on the top of his dresser. And, postscript, my dad does not wear cufflinks. I think he bought cufflinks in order to put them in this ugly yellow ashtray that little third grade me had given him. Now, what is the point? He loves the gift because of what it represents. He loves the gift because it represents my love for him. When you give as an act of worship, it's not about the gift. Jesus says it's not about the size of the gift or the amount of the gift or how much. It's not about that at all. It's about you. It's about your heart. It's about your heavenly father looking down and seeing you, a son or a daughter, and saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. That one belongs to me. That child is a child of the king. What a privilege it is this Christmas season and every season to give good gifts 
to our God and our King. How important is Jesus to you? Is he as important to you as he was to the wise men? Now, before you answer that question, let me remind you of how important you are to Jesus. You are so important to Jesus that Jesus was willing to live for you. He was willing to be born in a tiny city, the city of Bethlehem. He was willing to be born in a barn. He was willing to sleep in a germ-infested cattle trough. He was willing to become weak. He was willing to become vulnerable. He was willing to become breakable for you. But not only that, Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. He was willing to give his life for you on the cross, despising the shame, enduring the pain, so that we might have the gift of life. Knowing that that's who this baby Jesus is, will you seek him? Maybe you've been looking for Jesus for a long, long time. Maybe today is the first day of your journey. Wherever you are on that journey of faith, don't be afraid to follow the star. Don't be afraid to go wherever it is that the Holy Spirit is directing you to go. You will find Jesus. You will find life. And when you find him, you will worship him. Give him your joy. Give him your honor and your humility and your treasures. If you're willing to do that, if you're, you will discover what Christmas is all about. Not the tree or the presents or even the beautiful music, as beautiful as it is. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus, our king. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God. We thank you for the great love with which you have loved us. That even when we were your enemies, even when we were lost, hopelessly lost, even when we were hostile and angry, even when, humanly speaking, we caused you a great deal of frustration, you never stopped loving us. You never stopped showing up and revealing yourself to us. Lord God, I believe that if you were able to reveal yourself in the form of a star to three wise men in their caravan of people from the east, then surely, Lord, you are able to reveal yourself to us. Do that. Please do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.